I had taught myself and everyone around me that our job was to consistently light ourselves on fire to keep everyone else warm. I can't do that. That is not a sustainable practice for me. It wasn't a sustainable practice for literally anyone in our field. And it taught our students some really bad habits. They didn't know what to do. You know, we, we have this entire institution and we taught them in their first most formative time it, in the first six weeks that we were the only people that they could rely on. And that wasn't our intention, but it was certainly the impact of what we did. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're talking about, talking about reimagining the work of residence life. Specifically, how can we merge the proactive or learning-focused work with reactive or crisis and student issue response work in ways that these aspects are integrated and aligned and not in competition with each other for our time, energy, and effort? And how do we do so in ways that are viable and sustainable for the staff and serve students? Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. And this episode is brought to you by Stylus. Visit styluspub.com and use promo code SANOW for 30% off and free shipping. Today, we're sharing the first of three conversations in a series I hosted for the University of Massachusetts Amherst Residential Life Team. The series focused on reimagining residence life work, crisis response and on-call, and social justice from a proactive perspective. I invited some of the most innovative thinkers and practitioners I know to share their thoughts, ideas, and approaches to generate possibilities for all of us to consider. Each conversation we share with you in this series was followed by a question and answer session specific to the UMass residential life context. Thanks to UMass Amherst Residential Life for making these conversations possible and allowing us to share them with you more broadly here. I wanna invite our guests in. Uh, we have three folks who I really respect and admire and who are leaders I continuously learn from and gain insight and admire their approach uh, to leading. And so we're going to have them introduce themselves and we've got some some questions and some prompts for them. And then uh, we'll kind of flow from there. So Dana, I think you're going to kick us off. Sure. <clears throat> Sorry, I have, I have a little tickle in my throat. Um, but I am Dana Olivo. I use she, her pronouns, and I am across the river from you at Smith College. I am, this is my eighth academic year at Smith, and I've been working in residence life for about, I don't know, 15 years is just what I've been saying probably for the last couple of years. Um, and I'm currently the assistant director for residential education, and so I work with our um, intentional living communities as well as our curriculum. And um, like another one of our prompts were, I don't know, our curriculum we launched about three years ago at the beginning of pandemic. And I truly believe that it kind of, uh, it gave us direction in a way that we would not have had if we had not had our curriculum when the pandemic started, especially as we only had about a hundred students on campus and being able to then 
launch it virtually, I think really was helpful for our department as well as students who are learning from afar um, to help them feel more connected with the institution while they were away. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I think crisis response, we've been really working hard at interweaving the curriculum into how we meet with students and how we um, do conduct and how we respond to emergencies on campus. And we've recently kind of revamped the way that we do our care team here. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure what you call it at UMass, um, but we've been we have a couple of facilitation guides and it's like something that we're we're constantly tweaking to make it feel right because so much has kind of changed over the past couple of years of how we do our work that I think we're I am trying really hard to make sure it makes sense and we're not adding additional work to our plate that doesn't need to be added but it's just the work Mm -hmm. so thank you I'm honored to to be here with you yeah thanks so Thanks so much for being here, Dana. I want to hear a little bit later, a little bit more about how you do that interweaving. I think that's what we're looking for and how we do that is really great. And you mentioned not being an addition to the plate, which brings us to Aaron Simpson. I think that's one of your great lines that I've been quoting and others have been quoting back. So Aaron, tell us a little bit about you um, and also your plate analogy. Absolutely. Hi, y'all. My name is Erin Simpson. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I serve as the Assistant Dean of Students and Director for the Gender and Equality Center at the University of Oklahoma, which is located on the ancestral homelands of the Wichita and affiliated tribes, the Osage and the Caddo. Um, Additionally, uh, has served as a hunting ground and gathering place for Kiowa, Apache, and Comanche tribes. Um, Additionally, Oklahoma is home to 39 federally recognized tribes who have made their way here after centuries of forced removal and broken treaties. Um, I have a ton of experience in residence life, but I, I left residence life uh, in 2018, um, but I served for about 15 years in residence life at the University of Oklahoma, including um, building our residential curriculum in 2013. Um, in 2018, I transitioned over into our Gender and Equality Center, which is also the home of our gender-based violence prevention and response. So my crisis response hat has just grown since leaving residence life. I actually didn't know that was possible for being honest, Mm -hmm. but has has just sort of grown and expanded. Um, The work that we do now at the University of Oklahoma is divisional curriculum. And so we've done, we did a residential and then we moved into some departmental spaces. And now we're working on building um, a divisional curriculum, a framework for our entire division. Um, When Keith talks about my plate analogy, uh, the thing that I'm consistently sort of um, hyping is that curriculum is an addition, is not an addition to our plate. It becomes our plate and it holds everything else. And it it holds crisis response for us as well. And that has, I think, really been important to us in how we think about doing our best work in our worst moments. It means that we've prepared for it. Um, And so that's that's, that's a little bit about about how we have managed to to tackle those things together. Great. Thank you, Erin. And we were just uh, there at ICA where you shared that. And I had three people yesterday share that back with me. Um, So I'm glad you're getting to share that here today. And then we have what feels to me the newly minted Dr. Hibbler, but it's been some time. So uh, Dr. Hibbler, go ahead and introduce yourself to to these folks. Yes. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is uh, David Hibbler Jr. I use he, him pronouns. And 
I'm a son, brother, partner, um, dog and plant dad, um, and interior designer on uh, some days where I, I, I think, you know, that we do here. Um, I think James Banning, the OG campus psychologist, will be proud <laughs> of that. Um, but yeah, like I, I'm an educator who is fortunate enough to curate, uh, you know, uh, spaces in residence at, in residential life uh, to make campus home for folks, right? So um, I serve as the director of residential education at uh, the University of South Florida on the Tampa campus. I have been here for 10 years. So this is uh, now my 11th academic year and our curriculum um, this year just celebrated its 10th anniversary. I was in initially brought here to USF as a part of um, the creation you know, of our curriculum, right? Like the chicken or the egg, do we have the right people uh, or do we build the curriculum? They decided to get the right folks uh, on the bus, uh, you know, really re-envisioning job descriptions, uh, roles, alignment with our housing and assignments folks and versus our res ed folks, uh, and just really created the appropriate alignment to really launch um, what we did here. But um, so I've been able to grow in a variety of different roles here from RLC, RLC senior assistant director, then the inaugural associate director, and now to be leading the unit that I was um, brought here as a part of a cohort to help create has just been phenomenal. And I think um, now as we're in this current moment of really seeing how our field is going to evolve, now that I've literally been in every single position in this department mm -hmm. and knowing what are some of our, um, our biggest issues now, really trying to help co-create um, what this looks like for our unit. Uh, moving forward. Um, and when I think of crisis and, and all the other things, right, like I love Aaron's analogy of it's, it's just a part of what we do, right, and here at USF, our curriculum and just how we do our work is all about getting to know our residents by name and by story, right, and if we're able to do that, hopefully we've built a trusting relationship with these folks, with our residents, so when they are in those moments of crisis, right, like they know um, who to turn to, right? Or some of those pieces of, um, of like, can I trust this person or can I trust the system or this piece and, and how am I now going to find support? Um, so I think that's how it has truly helped us, right? And even when I think about uh, where we were um, as we were navigating some of the early moments of the pandemic to any instance that happened now, our curriculum has always been our beacon or our guiding light to kind of help steer us on track, right? You know, like everything else is kind of happening around us, but we know essentially what's happening for our students and what we still need to be doing and providing for folks at any point in the year or the semester. And we're able to kind of, um, you know, allow that to guide us. So that's a little bit about who I am and how, uh, and, and where we're at to this point. So I'm excited to engage in this conversation with, um, with you all, so. Yeah. Well, thank you. Let's. Um, I really appreciate you all sharing your res life experience and how you navigate crisis and COVID and student issues and sexual violence and emergency response, and also navigating uh, your curriculum and using that uh, together, the interweaving, the beacon and guiding light, <laughs> um, providing clarity. I, I, I love it. Let's step back though. We'll come back to sort of the learning and the proactive and the crisis response and reactive and, and how we connect those. Let's just step back and think broadly about residence life work. Uh, as you know, so much has changed in recent years uh, about higher education, the world beyond higher education, uh, our students and student affairs. Um, I think we often assign a lot of that to COVID, but it's not just COVID. It's 
democracy, its racial inequities, harm and murder and violence. It is all the things happening in our world. And then, <laughs> then there's my life and your life and the things happening there. Um, so much is changing. And I think we all recognize that going back to normal uh, might be tempting, but normal wasn't working for so many folks. And that would be a step backwards, uh, particularly in terms of equity and effectiveness. So I'd love to hear as you all have been doing this work and leading this work, but also what do you see ahead? And again, this is not a place to show off what you all are doing, but what, maybe what are some of the things you wish you could do or what do you imagine you could do or what do you think we'll be doing um, in three to five years that we'll just look back now and be like, why weren't we way ahead of the game on this? Isn't this so obvious? So Dana, I think we're, we're going to start with you again. What do you kind of see as possible for residential life work when you look ahead? That's a hard one for me, Keith. Um, <laughs> I think that when we get to the point where we realize less is more, mm. then I feel like we'll be able to do more um, when we're not trying to do everything. And I hope that makes sense. But I think that we try to do everything and fill, fulfill the needs for all the people all the time. And like, sometimes I think about like our professional staff that kind of get lost in the mix of us trying to do everything for students and how, what that impact has. Like I truly feel like if we could do more for our professional staff, our professional staff will be equipped to do more for our students. Mm -hmm. um, and also embracing other ways of doing of doing the work. I think that we have we can get we can get stuck in this like um, but we've always done it this way or that's easy or it takes time to it does take time to think about new ways of doing and that's really difficult when you're student facing and constantly faced with crisis and covid and all of the things that can happen on a college residential campus, it will happen. Um, and so when you're constantly spinning that wheel, don't have a lot of time to think strategically about how we can do this different. Um, and I think that if we were able to take a step back and really take the time to think it through and embrace, new, truly embrace new ways of doing and being, and I think we could tr really do better and more for our 18 year olds who are showing up on our doorstep with their suitcase, like, show me, teach me, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. love me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Help me, rescue Help me. Help me, right. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing the essentialism, right? How can you do less so you can be more? Not an easy question to answer, but a, a powerful one. I'm also hearing uh, in you something that I've heard from many others is just, um, craving and yearning for time to think <laughs> like if yeah. i could just get 30 minutes to think i could clean up a lot of mess but i don't feel like i have that so i'm just mm -hmm. in the mess uh sort of moving forward there yeah we're always in the reactive space and i don't think we have a lot of time to be proactive right and how do we recognize that reality and then also where's our agency to shift that and adjust that mm -hmm. and not just have that be something that's happening to us, but also, um, you know, we talked previously about um, critical hope, which is this, you know, really critically understanding what is going on, 
not being pretending or being Pollyanna or um, or ignoring the realities that we face, but also how do we see possibilities, which is really our focus. And then also what responsibilities do I have in navigating that, um, that sort of critical hope uh, being an antidote to toxic positivity, I think being really important. Aaron, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. Uh, I think it's, it's easy to fall into. It's easy to be tempted by. It's also easy to sort of, um, it's also easy to hear when we've heard that a lot. Um, Aaron, easy to harm with. Yeah, say more about that and also talk about, um, you said something at ICA during your Institute Showcase about the keeping students warm. Could you say something about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think toxic positivity is really, really harmful, right? It just is uh, this weird like Stepford response to actual real pain and trauma. And then when we're like, it's gonna be okay. Do you wanna go to this ice cream bar? That is not, <laughs> doesn't really fix it. For, the, for any of us, right? And yeah. so I, I think the idea of critical hope is so much more helpful for us. Um, yeah, I think residence life has got to really resist this idea that we are a one-stop shop. I did not resist that very well. Let me be really clear. That's not how I was trained up in our profession. Um, I was trained up to understand that we are where they live. And so we wrap these services around them and it is our job, right? To do all of these things all of the time um for everyone for literally everyone <laughs> and then and then you stop and think about we have a career center on campus we have a gender center on campus we have a, a campus activities office we we have all of these other places and my colleagues in those in those spaces and places are experts in their in their field they know way more about resume building than i do why am i doing this mm -hmm. um and I don't know that it really hit home for me until I left residence life and I entered a space that was far less funded and far less resourced. And there was simply no way that I could create um, these wraparound services without my colleagues. And it occurred to me that I had just sort of allowed this thing that I really thought I had been pushing against. I hadn't maybe been doing that, that great of a job. Um, I had taught myself and everyone around me that our job was to consistently light ourselves on fire to keep everyone else warm. I can't do that. That is not a sustainable practice for me. It wasn't a sustainable practice for literally anyone in our field. And it taught our students some really bad habits. They mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. You know, we, we have this entire institution and we taught them in their first most formative time it, in the first six weeks that we were the only people that they could rely on. And that wasn't our intention, but it was certainly the impact of what we did. And I, I think that that is something that I see happen a lot across institutions is that residence life um, sometimes has some more capacity. I know that that doesn't feel real on like any given Tuesday, but residence life sometimes, sometimes has more capacity or sees a need. And so they, because they're, the need is literally right in front of us all the time. Mm -hmm. And so we just move to fill it. And if we were a little bit more thoughtful about it, then we could uh, anticipate the need because we see the need every year. We could think a little bit more thoroughly about who on our campus is best suited to fill it, what kind of collaborative relationships that we can be building that will support students for all four years. If you're in a four-year residential space, amazing. This is a four-year partnership. Uh, I work at a big state school with a one-year live-on requirement, and we literally don't have room for you after that. So, 
how, what are we teaching them to do? They're sophomore, junior, senior, maybe that victory lap fifth year, right? What are we teaching them to do if the only place that they know to go is inside of residence life? Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, was, has been a really transformative thing for me to understand. It's something that our, I think our teams are consistently working against. Um, it's also not good for us as colleagues, right? Na like knocking down these like walls and silos that are artificial and that we built, I think has been really important for developing a holistic understanding of what, our, what resources our students have access to, where our gaps are as an institution, um, and what, we, what moves we need to make to fill those, rather than what are our gaps in housing, which doesn't really have very many, if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you, Erin. David, what do you see as possibilities for residence life work going forward? All the things, all the things. I think, um, I think first we need to possibly embrace some of the ideas that previously haven't sent well with us, right? Um, I think for so long there was just this notion of like corporate this, corporate that. We need to like resist everything that is kind of in those spaces. And I think there are some elements that I'm trying to adapt now or that we're going to need to, right? We've already started to figure out what does hybrid or remote work look like for for our teams, right? Um, right now, I'm really trying to figure out what does shift work look like for my team, right? Um, yeah. I We just now got back to a place as of October 1st of being fully staffed in our hall director position, right? And we haven't been there since the fall of 2019, right? So from before the pandemic, right? So we've been doing more with less. We've essentialized so much where we were just doing what we needed to do, right? Because we couldn't like spread out the work any further, right? But I think now as I'm trying to like vision forward for what is the next recruitment cycle look like or for where we were, we really had to embrace this concept of like shift work or area management, right? Where maybe we're and I think some staff are a little frustrated with this at first, but we had to like depersonalize the RLC or the hall director role a little bit because there was just so much oversight or responsibility that we thought like, I have to be all things for all these people, right? And I think we've, we've created some of these things, right? But hey, how can I like spread these roommate conflicts or how can I spread this conduct around or how can I spread, you know, uh, some of these students of concern issues around for like the other people and with the other people in my area, right? So I'm not just inundated with all the things that are happening in my one specific hall, right? Even with RA or, or hall council supervision, we've had to look at that as well, right? Um, knowing that other people can be really good for them as well, right? And mm -hmm. I don't just have to be, once again, this one thing for, for everyone. So I think we, we need to kind of figure out how that looks, right? Because I think we can talk about essentializing and paring down the roles and different things that we're doing. But if I still feel like I need to be this person for the for the students that I supervise, for the students that I have in my hall, right? Like, I was just further contributing to some of the burnout pieces and different things that um, we have. And I think as leaders, we need to continue to read the room, right? Like, what is just going to be that one final straw, right? Um, and how are we just doing things differently? Over the, for us, right, we have just been in like a whirlwind the past few weeks. It's already October. We know what October is in Res Life, right? And just it's almost school, November, actually. Just, it's just almost FYI. November. Literally, <laughs> right. Literally. But um, we, so we had a suicide on campus. We had the hurricane. And then we went right into homecoming. So like by last Friday, like my staff, we were just like spent, right? But then for me to come into homecoming, we can expect for us to still deliver the same experience that we needed 
which is, it was unrealistic, right? Um, but we still need to do this, right? Because we still have an experience for our students and our parents and families, right? Coming to campus, right? This is, we still have to create some of these moments, right? So in that moment, instead of being frustrated with potentially how that was gonna look, right? Like I called a party planner, right? And me and my AD teams, we literally had someone come and decorate 16, 16 lobbies, right? With balloon arches and welcome home signs, right? And we had somebody come and just facilitate that one thing for us. But that was just the one thing that, was my staff responsible for doing it? Yes. Could they have done it? Possibly, but I don't think I would have been happy this, <laughs> this past Monday, right? So just like, what are the things that we just need to do and just like re-envision or like literally have somebody else do, right? Who maybe is outside of the institution who has the capacity where it came for this good, right? Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of where we've been. Um, because unfortunately, I think we've had to go out. And I think this is also just kind of where some institutions are, right? Like we may be understaffed, but also our peers and other units may be understaffed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we may have a career center that has two career advisors for a lot of people, right? You know, and I'm not saying that's where I'm at right now, possibly. <laughs> but um, these are all things that, you know, I think for so long we've, there, we've had great collaborations with our partners. And while maybe we've been able to fill our coffers up with people, everybody else hasn't. So like the whole division is still trying to re-envision what this looks like, right? But knowing that we're still a brick and mortar institution and, and we're trying to figure, figure this out, right? Because our students are still here. So we still have to like figure out how we do what we do, but doing it differently and looking outside of our field to figure out how we still provide an experience that is meaningful and intentional and all these things. Yeah. So I love that you're modeling for us, uh, centering the purpose of the students and the students experience, but really cracking the things wide open about how we do that. Like, let's just hire an external party planner to do balloon arches. Like, okay, like, how do we really think differently about that and shift work, which is something I've been thinking about, we might come back to uh, with these folks a little bit later on when we talk about crisis response and how do we think about some of those things differently and, and open to this? I heard from all three of you, those centering staff well-being being so important, uh, burnout, setting ourselves on fire to keep students warm is not you know, a sustainable strategy. How do we center the staff well-being so that they can be there for students? And how do we do that structurally and systemically? And then how do I navigate that myself? Because I need different things to be grounded and centered than, than David does. So where is the organizational institutional responsibility and then where's our own agency within that um and how do we navigate some of that uh, and i i love your saying you're <clears throat> excuse me using the language of depersonalizing how do we let go of our ego this is not my building these are not my students <laughs> this is not my set of roommate conflicts these are not my right but they're ours how do we be of service to the students we are who are here um and I, as you're pointing to that depersonalization can seem scary. It can seem like letting go. It can seem like that we can, we can get a lot of needs fed by students needing us or our RAs needing us or our LCs needing us. But ultimately that does, as you've pointed out, lead to burnout. And how, so how do we see things more collectively and what's the best way for us as a group to meet these needs? And maybe that doesn't involve me at this moment, but maybe it involves some other things or involves me in different ways down the road. 
Well, let's come back to sort of where we started about this proactive and reactive, the learning work and the crisis response work, the student issues versus the student growth and development. Um, you all have spoken to how integrating these has strengthened that. Um, and I think about how if we're proactive on student learning and growth and development, then they'll be better equipped to handle some of these challenges on their own, not all of them, but some of them, which is great. And if we're doing a good job addressing some of these issues, they can also be learning and growth opportunities for the students in some cases, in some ways. So how do we, how do we see them feeding and informing and interweaving uh, with each other rather than being in competition? I don't have time to do learning because I've got so many incident reports, so many crises or so much time on call. Um, that's a really challenging thing. Um, I think David, we wanna come back to you. So how, how do we, how do we merge this together? What has been sort of the best of what you've done or what you see you might be doing ahead in the future? Again, we're here to think about what could be um, in interconnecting these things. Yeah, um, and to be honest, I hate that I'm going first on this one. I, I saw this and I was like, what? I had to like read it a few times <laughs> because I won't lie. But I think um, when I think about this question and um, you know, I go back to, the purpose of our curriculum was to get to know our residents by name, by story, right? USF is a school of 47,000 people. And even though I don't have 47,000 folks in housing, right? Like, how are we making it human scale for folks? And how are we giving folks the insight and confidence to, to navigate this place? Um, and I think for us, in some ways, we also had to extend beyond it's not just our resident right but it's the, our residents and their parents and friends and families and their support systems right so how are we now educating or providing services for that holistic group and I think one example that's kind of helped us kind of blend the two is around like weather related incidents right this is a a crisis that is going to happen in the southeast region of just our did. country just did right but how are we now uh infusing some lesson plans and some language into our housing agreement around what are your weather related incident plans? How are you connecting or how are you talking to your friends, family and loved ones about what you're possibly gonna do during this piece, right? How are we talking about our communication skills with not only communicating with us, but with them, <laughs> right? So all of these pieces, um, because we're trying to essentially help their mental readiness for the inevitable, right? So I think that was huge in a way that we were able to kind of blend some of those curricular pieces into, um, you know, into that space, right? Because we don't know what a storm is going to do, right? But if we can equip our residents and their support systems with all the things that can happen, mm -hmm. it's now making our jobs easier, right? Because on the back end of that, I also need to prepare my staff in terms of their mental readiness for how they're going to be navigating, you know, some of these pieces. So I think that's, that's yeah. um, one space that uh, we've needed to kind of lean into um, because we know what our policies and procedures are. We know it's in the crisis manual, but how am I now flushing out all of those pieces and, and those mental models so I can um, work through that and not work through it when a hurricane barely to Tampa. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's just a really concrete example about that is done to help you and your staff have more capacity when the crisis does happen. And those are life skills, right? Whether it's a hurricane or tornado or 
cancer diagnosis, uh, sort of knowing that things aren't going to go well and being prepared and having some ideas and some thoughts about that. That's, that is the learning we want students to have when they leave University of Southern Florida, South Florida, to be able to look back and say, oh, I have this capacity because I learned that there. Um, so it's a great merging. And you're reminding me, I think one of the things that higher ed and student affairs in particular has really done terribly is we wait for students to be underwater before we try and rescue them. We wait until they're on academic probation before we connect them with a tutor, before we talk about that uh, uh, advising or intrusive advising. We wait for students to have their mental health breakdown before we talk to them, connect them with a counseling center or medication or things like that. And how could we get ahead for all students on things that we know helps people be successful, sleep, exercise, study skills, connection and relationship, well-being, finding your strengths, not having your path be everyone else's. But what are the things, how do we teach students how to be successful, proactive, rather than waiting for them to be failing and struggling and on the cusp of dropping out, being kicked out, suicide, other issues, addiction, substance abuse, alcohol transports, we, should, we will never eliminate that responsive, but how can we maybe address some of that a little bit beforehand? Aaron, what would you add to this about integrating the proactive and reactive? Yeah, so we have a saying on our campus, um, you cannot do your best thinking in your worst moment. We mm -hmm. can't, we, we mm -hmm. cannot do our best thinking in our worst moment. And unfortunately, our worst moments is usually when our students need our best thinking, right? Mm. And so we have spent um, a significant amount of time creating um, proactive lesson plans that don't feel like our crisis manual. I mean, we have a crisis manual that certainly risk management has weighed in on. We know exactly what to do in times of a tornado, right? We know, we know what to do. A tornado is coming. We know how to handle that. But I'm also thinking about... Um, racist incidents that make international news. It's not like the University of Oklahoma doesn't have any level of experience with that. Or uh, a death in the residence halls or um, uh, climate crises that um, impact not just our campus, but you know our students come from all over the world. Like, right, how are we how are we doing thinking around those things before they happen? Because it's really naive of us to think that it won't. It's really, it's really naive of us to think that we're not going to have someone say something deeply harmful, racist, and offensive in, in a community setting. But we know that's going to happen. What's our plan? And that, I don't need to, us to think about what our plan is when it's actually happening. And we're all just sort of casting around, looking for the like adultier adult in the room to figure it out. We're, that's us. And so we have spent a lot of time thinking about what that looks like, what those facilitation guides look like, um, who can take those up, right? Because the other piece that I think was really important is that it kind of harkens back, I think, to um, things that... David said earlier about like shift work and depersonalizing. Um, I can't ask a hall director whose identities are directly being impacted by the harm that's happened to also be the one leading the response, right? Mm -hmm. I can't ask in my office, I can't ask my LGBTQ program coordinator to always lead the uh, response to like a transphobic and homophobic incident on campus. Mm -hmm. This has to be communal and that means those plans have to be understood widely. Um, I think that we have for too long been like, well, it's your building, it's your spot, or it's your, it impacts your job, so it's your thing. 
And that has led us to harming our colleagues as well. Like our mm -hmm. students weren't served probably in ways that were like very deeply student-centered and we hurt our colleagues. Mm -hmm. um, both both outcomes we're not looking for. So we think, I, I say this all the time that we cannot do our best thinking in our worst moments. So when can we do our best thinking? Let's identify that. And then let's imagine that we know that this is gonna happen. What are the basics? We know we're gonna need to call counseling. We know we're gonna need to do these things. We know we're gonna need to have um, a dialogue groups. Like we know we're gonna have to do these things. We, we can think about them in advance and create some planning around them that could just gets deployed when needed. Yeah. Um, that's really changed our ability to be reactive in th thoughtfully, intentionally, and collaboratively in very little time with a mm -hmm. very little, like the timing is, is very different now. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if this is something you've actually done, but I've given you and your Oklahoma colleagues credit for this, or maybe we just imagined it, but having, <laughs> I imagine a facilitation guide for racist bias incidents of all we kinds, like we've got a plan, now the details change and so we're going to sub in, but we have, we've got a plan, a plan for news, right? Mm -hmm. The things that happen, whether it's elections or hate incidents or violence or, or crises. And then we have, here's if the weather gets right. so overwhelmed and having these plans, it's never going to go as planned, but at least having a plan, now you have something to adapt and modify and say, okay, this isn't happening the way we thought, but yeah. we're going to do this. And I just remember so many times where something would happen and we would have a meeting about it. And because we're all over meeting and over scheduled, it would take two weeks before we meet about it. And then we were going to have a forum, but the chapel's not available to have the forum. And by the time we got our stuff together, it was over for the students. It had been five, six weeks. There had been three other things that had happened since that were on their radar. So how do we be planful to help us be nimble? Yeah, we um, we have banks of them now, right? And yeah. it's, it's, I think, been really um, important for staff to also be able to pass them off. I don't know, I don't know that that, that was a, something that earlier in my career I thought well enough about um, through my own like privileged lenses and things. But now I think about that deeply, like how, who is handling point on this? Is that okay? Mm -hmm. Are they okay? Mm -hmm. Is this a reasonable ask of them, right? And I think that has also, because the planning piece has already been done, now we have the room to ask that. And, and before we just would have been like, no, it's your building, go, go do the thing. And I think that that um, has also just been really um, impactful for the way that we handle um, harm, crisis, mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the collaboration, the depersonalization, David mentioned the collaboration really seems to be um, a necessity of the work, helping us do it better and better serve students. And, and some of the ways we also have to get out of our own way to be able to do that. Dana, what would you add to this about the, the interweaving, as you said earlier? Uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was um, thinking about how we need everyone to be reading out of the same book. Mm -hmm. And I think some, sometimes it feels like we're just in like a completely different volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Like it's just like you're in a different letter. Um, and like I there's work being done around creating a divisional curriculum curriculum here and i think once we're able to get that i think it will feel a lot better like this idea of 
collaboration and we have um, like our care team students of concern meeting we have that every week with different offices and we're not always on the same page and I think it's really important that we we have a com I think we have a we have a common idea of like we're all here to support students and we want to do that and we want to do it well and I think sometimes we have different ideas about what that looks like mm -hmm. and I almost feel like until we get to the point where we all have a very similar or same idea mm -hmm. of what that looks like, we won't be able to do our best work. Yeah. Because you have this person saying, I think this needs to have, like, and you know, like there's a spectrum, right? It mm -hmm. ranges from we're holding a hand. And I'm, I'm being, I'm being dramatic, but we are, <laughs> we're holding a hand and wiping tears to we're leaving them completely alone. And what's the, what's the space in the middle mm -hmm. that our students get the best of us? Mm -hmm. And we don't feel like we're completely overburdened and overworked mm -hmm. and taxed and all of the things right. because we're trying to do all the things for all the people. And solving their problems for them is is not how education works, right? But how do we help them learn to solve their own problems? And some students need a lot more help doing that than others do. And that's our that's the magic, right? What is it for this person or this situation? How much help do they need? But I think mm -hmm. rescuing and saving them just teaches them, find Dana. The next thing that's going to get hard, Dana's great, right? And so how do we get them to, to do that themselves? I love this uh, reading from the same book. Uh, Yumi Choi, who's a colleague of ours from UC Irvine, talks about we got to be playing the same music. Some of us write the music. Some of us conduct the music. Some of us play horns. Some of us play drums. But if we're not playing the same song, it's just noise. And I think, mm -hmm. how do we be clear about what is the song that we're playing? We all have many different roles. And sometimes sometimes you're playing the horns and then next week you're playing the drums and that gets complicated and hard. And how do we make all that work together? But what what is it that are our shared purpose and direction? Um, I wanna move us towards, towards uh, wrapping up and sort of a final question, inviting some of the, the UMass folks here in a little bit, but as this work moves forward, what structural or organizational possibilities do you see that could better serve staff and students? Maybe it's things that you've experienced or things that you've imagined or things you hear from other innovative colleagues. What are some of these, um, I'm thinking about org charts, I'm thinking about structures, I'm thinking about policies. Um, Aaron, what, what are you seeing that might be possible to help advance things? Yeah, so one of the things that I think about is that I think we're pretty held hostage by tradition in our field mm -hmm. about this is what it is. Like, this is just what this is. And I'm really interested in the idea about each campus getting to define that for themselves. Like, I don't, I don't work on a campus like UMass Amherst, right? So I don't, when I think about what possibilities could be, I'm thinking about what possibilities could look like at the University of Oklahoma, which is a large state school in a suburban, like semi-rural space, right? There's not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really interested. We spend so much time talking about our curriculum being contextualized to our own institutions. I'm really interested in what we would do if we could contextualize our staffing patterns to our institutions, instead of being sort of like, well, you have to, people have to live in and our duty structure has to look like this because that's the way we all got trained up. That's the way that it's been done or that's the way that, 
you know, when we look across the country at those peer evaluations that everyone's always asking us for, this is how this aspirational school does it. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean, doesn't may not mean that it works. So what would it look like if we sat down with a completely blank slate and only thought about our institution and what would best serve our students with our staff capacity that meant that our staff could also sustainably continue to do that work. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that if we did that, we might find some things that we, that we have that are, 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 they do work, right? Maybe their, their trends or their, their, their staples for a reason. But I also think we could probably find and toss out some stuff that we've just been doing because we got held hostage by tradition. Mm-hmm. And I, that is, I think, where I want where I want us as a field to get to be brave and I, I haven't <laughs> seen us do it very widely yet but I'm really interested in how brave we could get about I don't think we need this mm-hmm. and and I think it's okay if we are a housing or a residence life unit that doesn't have this and even if people look at us like with big eyes at conferences and be like what we don't have this because it doesn't work on our campus and it doesn't serve our students is an answer that I would love for us to get to to say and do and like and like boldly live out. Mm-hmm. So while I don't think I have a specific answer, that's what I've been thinking about yeah. is what would it be like if we contextualized it specifically to who we are and where we are? Well, and you're getting at this reimagining, right? What what could we reimagine and really grounding it? And I also want to free us up not from just what has been, but I think sometimes we get stuck in what would be the solution that will work forevermore when it doesn't have to, what could work for us for the next six years maybe, and then we'll reevaluate. And six years is probably even too long. Um, so I love that permission slip you're, you're offering us. David, what do you see structurally and organizationally as some possibilities to consider? When I think about the possible, when I think about the word possibility, I'm like, I don't know if it's, like, I'm, I don't know if we're still re- trying to figure it out or just what we were forced to now do um, if that makes sense so I feel like we have been forced to look at other types of candidates we have been forced to you know think about who are the types of folks who can now fill these roles right because during the height of USF and our curriculum and all these things we were these scholar practice and we still are right but like we were looking for a very specific type of person who was tapped on the shoulder in undergrad who had that special moment, who went into a graduate program, who had all these phenomenal and transformational, you know, uh, experiences and moments of learning and insight during their graduate program. And they were ready and they were at TPE and they were gonna come to USF and create and, and do all these things, right? And we don't have as many folks in our graduate programs anymore and all these things, right? And, and folks are looking at other opportunities, right? So we literally had to rethink our recruitment processes and, and and the areas that we're kind of recruiting in and all those things. So I think that's a possibility that if folks aren't doing that, how are you now doing it? How are we looking then or how are we in Indeed or how are we now looking towards our local teachers unions and folks who are really in a space and looking for new opportunities, right? Um, you know, right now, like I've now interviewed and, and have hired folks who have transitioned from the K through 12 space or mm-hmm. looking to kind of leave those spaces. And, and so we're literally in the process of re-envisioning how they're now kind of merging over, right? Or kind of using those transferable skills spaces, right? So even as our field and NASA and all these folk organizations are thinking about what does the student affairs certification look like, or all these things, right? Like, and 
I don't know where I'm at, but like we've now needed to provide some of our staff with some of the MOOCs and other opportunities to give them a crash course in student development theory or mm -hmm. some of these pieces just to have the contextual knowledge of what is higher ed, right? So that has now had to be in some of our onboarding processes. So that, that's, a, that's somewhere where we've had to kind of um, re-envision. And I think um, the other piece is just as we continue to see uh, more heightened uh, levels of mental health and alcohol consumption, at least in some of our halls. And I know that mm -hmm. is a national thing. Recently uh, in our bid team, you know, I think the specific language was the intensity of the concerns that we're now facing are, we haven't seen, right? So what our RAs or our students are dealing with in the halls and our staff are having to engage with, um, we're trying to figure out how, how do we, you know, how do we, um, support them differently or how do we now look for other types of you know uh positions to be on call very similar to Aaron uh and to what she mentioned so that's that's where we're at and it's I think now we're just in a place of not just like trying to re-envision it but we're literally being forced right because I can't now have another RAC experience their fifth you know Baker Act of mental health transport you know this week if I'm now seeing this, how am I like pulling them off and having somebody, you know, else step in, but also not wanting them to possibly engage in the level of trauma that we're now seeing. So that's where I'm at and it's all over the place, but um, no. we have to, we're going to have to figure something out because um, I don't want us to be in a place of where we no longer have people to do the work. Right. And I don't think we're there and I don't think we're going to be there, but folks have to really think about them. Um, the the level of impact that it's really having on our folks. Well, and it's going to take leadership like yours to to make sure that that isn't the reality as we go forward. Yeah. So I'm glad you're thinking about that. Dana, what would you add here about some organizational structural possibilities? Oh, you're muted. My pinky. Um, yep. I'm thinking more on resources and what resources are available and what's being provided. Um, both time, money, not both, but time, money, structural resources, um, as I think that the, the work has, for me, personally speak, I statements, um, for me, I think the work has gotten a lot harder. I think our students are coming in with a, a significant amount of more mental health stuff, um, firsthand trauma, secondhand trauma and like what they see in front of them all day, every single day on social media and the news and all of the things, the access to things mm -hmm. that are quite traumatizing and mm -hmm. they're coming in with that. And I don't know if, I don't, think, I don't feel like our resources are keeping up with the need. And mm -hmm. at some point we're gonna, we're gonna have to do that. Otherwise this isn't, this isn't a sustainable space to be in if we're mm -hmm. unable to meet the needs of our students because mm -hmm. they're saying they need more they do need more they're showing mm -hmm. us that they need more they need more um as well as i think compensation is a huge one for folks working in student affairs and residents life and how do we make this a, a sustainable field to continue to work in mm -hmm. right like the cost of living is increasing but pay oftentimes is not increasing mm -hmm. in that in that same way. Yeah. 
Well, thanks to all of you. We're, we're running out of time. I want to invite some other folks in here, but um, as you know, we're the podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We always end with what are you pondering now? So real quick from each of you, just what's something, maybe it's related to the conversation, maybe it's other things. What is really with you now? What are you thinking, troubling, or pondering now? Go ahead, Dana. So soon. So since I just talked about sustainability, that's gonna that's still in my mind. It's gonna stay with me. I'll probably sleep about it. Sleep about it. I'll probably dream about it when I'm sleeping this evening. <laughs> Wonderful. This has to be sustainable. That's right. That's right. David, what are you troubling now? So I'm gonna pick up the baton from Dana because she just mentioned sleep. But um, <laughs> folks aren't sleeping. Folks aren't resting. And I really feel like we there needs to be some uh, like a shock to the system to really create spaces that promote that, right? A few years ago, I joked with some of my facilities folks. I was like, how can we just dim the lights like we were on a plane in the evening? Or like, how can we slow the Wi-Fi down I don't know, at 2 a.m. just so folks like, you know, just so they catch the hint and they go to, and they go to sleep or they just rest and they just recover, right? Um, and they, you know, and they're not causing issues for us to respond to, right? But so we're promoting that, this nature of, um, of rest and, and recovery. So that's what I'm pondering. I love it. I, I remember I, I'm great at sleeping on planes and I, I learned that it's because they dim the lights and they lower the level of oxygen, which makes people lethargic in sleep. And mostly that's just so people don't get rowdy. It's a way of sort of crowd control. It's not far from what you're kind of suggesting. Um, yeah. And uh, Aaron Simpson, you want to take us in a different direction or you just want to triple stamp, double stamp? Uh, I, I like Dana, I'm thinking a lot about sustainability. Um, Margaret Sally's work, um, I choose on the podcast about yeah. um, creating sustainable careers and student affairs and ideal worker norms is really on my mind a lot right now. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about how we resist this sort of like the way that we got taught, right? Just how do we resist this? And um, so I've been pondering that a lot lately. Awesome. Well, wonderful. Thanks to all three of you for being awesome guests and for giving us some things to think about, some possibilities, some reimagining, some looking back and some looking forward. Thanks to the University of Massachusetts Amherst Residential Life for hosting today's conversation and to our sponsors for today's episode, LeaderShape and Stylus. LeaderShape partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtual and in person, for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. LeaderShape offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community, build community building. To find out more, please visit leadershape.org slash virtual programs or connect with them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And Stylus is proud to be a sponsor of the podcast. Browse their student affairs, diversity, and professional development titles at styluspub.com. Use promo code ESSAYNOW for 30% off all books plus free shipping. You can also find Stylus on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at styluspub. Huge shout out to our producer, Nat Ambrosi, who does all of the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. If you're not, if you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to the fabulous guests today and to everyone who's watching and listening. Make it a great week.